Is this the Sugar Ray versus uh, first Ali debate right now? Oh God. Uh, it's Sugar Ray. Stairmaster in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 103 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're getting harder, better, faster, and stronger. Yes, we're talking about leveling up. But first, it's Suns Out, Guns Out for the Rogue Traders in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Iron Face breaks bones and hearts in the character Creation Forge. So I think this week also the final part of your masks actual play came out as well, right? That's right. Uh, it is the uh, post-discussion wrap-up with GM Brendan Conway of Magpie Games, who uh, created masks in the first place. Uh, so he he's talking about um, you know how he uh, what decisions he made uh, as the GM in order to facilitate the story, and you know ex- explaining how uh, the system itself. Uh, facilitated that story cool uh, so that's available at crashingthemode.com and you apparently will be at gen con yeah so will you that's true but i'm i'm not going to your to your talk no so i might uh, be going to your talk uh, yeah actually <laughs> there's, there's probably a good chance you're gonna be there <laughs> uh but i will actually be presenting uh or or at least participating in a podcasting panel hosted by the rpg academy uh, it is at Gen Con on Friday at 9 p.m. I'm not sure what the ticket count is because about two weeks ago there were 24, so I'm guessing there's probably a few tickets still remaining, but we're running short. Um, I'm selling them on eBay. So. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> um, but either way, I mean, it's uh, it's listed as an event on the Gen Con website. Search for Introduction to RPG Podcasting um, under the seminars, and you can grab tickets there. Even if you can't, you could probably just drop in. It's uh, usually pretty informal for the panels at Gen Con. You know, I'm counting on you to dissuade new podcasters from beginning. Yeah, we're not trying to not trying to launch any competitors here. Yeah, come on, come on. <laughs> I mean, maybe we could franchise this. <laughs> uh, Partial party thrill, right? <laughs> Total party meh. <laughs> Speaking of meh. <laughs> Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using the Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the Rogue Trader crew of the His Enduring Light are on the feudal world of Gontelgrim, where the main continent is consumed by war against a native orc population. And they were due to be reinforced by the Imperial Guard... But that help never arrived. Uh, why not? Uh, well, I think you guys found out they were waylaid <laughs> by Dark Eldar Raiders. As were we when we tried to rescue them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one drop pod did arrive on planet, and you have just returned from far behind Orcish lines uh, to recover that drop pod, uh, which was filled with las guns which will help tip the balance in favor of the uh, imperial forces on the planet finally a win uh, a bona fide 100 percent win 
Yeah. 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 We've got this drop pod. It's back in, like, safe hands. And now we just need to open it, and inside will be all the guns. Well, yeah. Except that you guys have learned <laughs> from from multiple betrayals by this point that you can't trust anything to be what it is. Yeah. And Stitch me once into a human tableau. Shame on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so fully... Shame on you. <laughs> So, fully expecting a Dark Eldar ambush to somehow be involved in opening this drop pod, uh, you have taken it behind your lines to a sort of tactically advantageous place uh, inside like a a blast crater and dropped it. And now you are uh, gathering forces to basically inspect and open the drop pod. Uh, And I thought... You guys were actually pretty clever about this. Draco and Trank, the pilots, stayed in the gun cutter, which has a large auto gun uh, mounted on the front of it, so that you would at least have some heavy firepower for the Dark Eldar if and when they emerge. The Dark Eldar didn't emerge. No. <laughs> so you sent in a squad, the the bravest P- PDF squad, and <laughs> they opened the drop pod. And died horribly. <laughs> Immediately died. <laughs> what was inside, Ishan? Orcs. Orcs. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. So, not not just orcs. Uh, well, orc boys, and then uh, they were led by an orc knob. Yeah. Who's a, a bigger, meaner, badder orc, basically. So, in the gun cutter, Draco and Trank shot it with the auto cannon. Right. <laughs> you kind of tied him down. I mean, you, you did some damage, but I think more than anything, you kept him out of the fight. Uh, as as he was busy kind of dealing with your impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest of the rogue traders were stuck on the front lines. You had a, a squad of armsmen, which is about all you brought down to the planet, um, as well as that PDF squad that had popped the can open, as it were. <laughs> or uh, what's left of that PDF squad, because the orcs immediately destroyed them. Just immediately. Yeah, so... Of course, the next sort of big gun to bring to bear is Flair with his Psyker bullshit. Your Psyker, yeah. yeah. Uh, and what happened there? Mm, he rolled poorly and triggered Warp Phenomenon. And that Warp Phenomenon was he adopted a demonic visage, which any remaining PDF forces in the area saw and immediately broke morale and fled, which took with them the Commissar, uh, Commissar Herc, who is a pretty capable fighter himself. You know, he should get shot. Uh, no, he left to go reform them and try and get oh, them and back. shoot them. Yeah, <laughs> try and get them back to the front lines. Uh, but yeah, so that basically left uh, your squad and the PCs at the edge of this crater with an onslaught of orc boys uh, coming directly at you. Right, so let's make it clear what actually happened here is that uh, Jim and I were not at this session. Right. <laughs> we, we were we were absent, I forget for what reasons, uh, which is why Draco and Trank were in the gun cutter, sort of like away from the actual battle. Right. But that left the rest of the characters. So Trix, uh, who's melee. Echo, who is not. Nope. Uh, Doc, who actually is, because he's basically made of metal. Yeah. Yeah. And Flare the Psyker. Right. To handle uh, charging orcs. Right. <laughs> so Trix is actually probably fine i mean he's been split up the middle a couple of times yeah he's fighting in melee he's died a lot (laughs) but he does he does a great job of uh holding the left flank because he has a giant sword made by the dark eldar yeah it's uh it's called a clave 
and it is basically a power glaive. So it's a it's a long haft with a sword on the end of it that is charged with energy that cuts through like butter. It's like a claymore that's actual steel, but the outside of it is a lightsaber. Yeah, it's it's a pretty nasty weapon that he uses. <laughs> However, Echo is stuck on the right flank and she takes pretty severe wounds. Uh, she actually ended up fighting off two orcs by herself, which is not nothing. Yeah, pretty intense for our uh, trade master. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's she's the quartermaster. <laughs> and then in the center of your lines with the squad of armsmen doing everything he can to keep them in the fight is Doc. He is healing them. He is chipping in some pot shots he's basically doing anything he can as the as the main thrust of the orc boys come directly at him okay chipping in some pot shots you say but he has uh i think he has a sniper a rifle. shoulder mounted sniper yeah. rifle that can shoot on its own right <laughs> which is why he was kept with the squad was because he can kind of do things and also shoot right stab this guy with stim shoot the orc right right of course He's still taking multiple critical injuries. So he's sort of also stabbing himself with yeah, Stim right. and shooting the orc. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then meanwhile, you know, the uh, the autogun overhead is just blazing at the orc knob. Uh, between Flare and that, that's kind of keeping him away. Uh, but you are still quite struggling to hold the, the orcs in this crater. And we'll find out what happens to them next week. So this week... We're talking about leveling up. This is actually a suggestion from listener David. Uh, He asks, what are some ways a DM can handle leveling up? You know, do you require downtime to train or, you know, do they level up immediately like in a video game Uh, or like between sessions or, you know, do you get new abilities after a short rest or a long rest? You know, how does that work? So, you know, one of the few things that almost every RPG has in common is this concept of character advancement. So, you know, as you play, the PCs are getting stronger, they're getting tougher, they're gaining more skills. Uh, But different systems model this differently. So in Mutants and Masterminds, you get power points that you can spend a la carte on different abilities. In Dungeon World, you uh, earn XP by failing, (laughs) (laughs) which is one of our beefs with the system. And you can use that to uh, select new single moves, either from your playbook or a different uh, sort of like character roles playbook. But in most games, you level up. You gain a discrete set of new abilities or options. Uh, all is like a big package. Yep. It's actually one of the few things in role-playing games that are really carefully delineated. You know, mostly we're making all this up as we go along, and it's GM rule zero and whatever you say goes. But... Leveling up, like there's always a section of the book that says, here is exactly how you do it. Here are steps one through seven. Yeah, it's always like the first half of the book, right? right? It's like, <laughs> here are all the things that you can put in your character sheet. And here's how every single one of them changes. Right, and and oftentimes, like, most of that content is actually inaccessible, right? Like, because at level one, you, you only need a couple pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not until much later that you even need the majority of that material. Right, or, you know, sometimes that sheet is spells and you are never going to get this right yeah (laughs) um so today we're going to talk about what that process looks like at the table and then what that looks like in the game world in the fiction in the narrative of your game so the reason that leveling up is happening in an rpg is because the fiction that we're all watching and that we are modeling with a game 
in those worlds, characters get more powerful. They gain new abilities. Like whether it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who like gets better at fighting vampires, uh, or it's you know any anime and Naruto learns a new move that he also screams when he like uses it. I don't know what that means. That's okay. You okay. Don't, you don't, I actually don't recommend that you do. Okay. Great. <laughs> Recommendation accepted. So th- there are a couple different ways that this happens in the media that games emulate. It can happen on screen. And I think this happens a lot in superhero fiction. So um, the the superheroes are like duking it out. They're They're battling against impossible odds and they're about to fail. And then suddenly someone discovers that they have a new ability that they've never shown before. They've never manifested before. They've learned some new way to use an ability. Yeah, this is like literally, I know Kung Fu. Yeah, or like the Flash, right? What's his ability? It's moving super fast. Well, there are an infinite number of ways that moving super fast can, can like, an ability, yeah. right? Like, oh, look, I decided, I, now I know how to phase through stuff. Right. Because I believed it enough and I, and I needed to. Abilities came at the speed of plot. Right. <laughs> uh, this also happens in a lot of more like rooted in realism fiction um, in terms of gaining assets. Right. So when you uh, when you get into the armory, for example, mm-hmm. that's basically a level up scene for the super soldiers that you're following along in the plot. Yeah. Um, I think of that scene near the end of The Princess Bride uh, where Count Rugen throws a knife. Basically, it looks like pretty much into Inigo Montoya's like stomach mm-hmm. or even like right below his heart. Right. And he's about to die. And then he pulls the knife out and he doesn't die. In fact, he's actually like he's even stronger. Yeah. I view that as like, oh, he he leveled up right there. Right. That's what happened. Uh, and that's the second wind. He multi-fighter. That's yeah. what he did. <laughs> uh, it can also happen uh, in the downtime of a story. This You get this a lot in video games. Like uh, Link enters Karakura Town where there are no monsters. And he wanders around and visits uh, the Swordmaster and the Potion Maker and talks to frogs and, you know, finds a place to sell his conch shells that's that's really funny that that's your touch point for video games is i don't it, know a lot about video games is it happening in downtime because i typically think of video games as it happens like as soon as you kill the thing that gives you the xp that gives you the next level it's like you get the the alert or the ding or whatever all of your like mana and health refresh and it's like go select your new skill done but do you do that then because okay when i was playing diablo 2 which i played for far too long I would never like stop in the middle of fighting as soon as I got that notification. I would wait till I was back in town so I could very carefully select the next skill in my skill tree. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. That's for the skill, but your mana and your yeah, it was just health like, automatically boom, back increase to full. And yeah, back yeah. to full. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I, I think you get this a lot in uh, TV show filler as as well. Like there'll be an entire episode where like someone learns a new skill, but it doesn't really advance the plot mm-hmm. at all. Um, And the whole point of this episode, obviously, is so that someone can learn a new skill. And it gives you a reason in the fiction that they know it. Right. And then it can also happen off screen, which happens a lot in literature where characters can easily go away and then come back. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when the character comes back, they have new abilities that sort of match what the hero has. Mm -hmm. Or even sometimes, you know, like the sequel to a book, it'll be the same character, but there's been a five year or 20 year time skip. Right. And they have new abilities because right. they learned those and we didn't need to watch that happen we just accept that this character has gotten more powerful or skillful in the time that has passed yeah that actually happens a lot in 
TV shows as well between mm. seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one season ended, there's a little bit of a time skip, and then we come back and this character is markedly different because season two has to go in a new direction. Yeah. It's tougher to do in an RPG because you can't like spend, you know, six sessions discovering the abilities that you had all along. Yeah. Like the yeah. audience can do. Right. So RPGs have similar options to uh, the media that we watch. Uh, the leveling up can happen on screen, like right in the moment. So the RPG version of what you were saying is m- uh, more typical for video games, which is we're in the middle of a fight. Someone, I guess the GM, is tracking XP for every single creature that we kill. And, you know, that final sword swing and like the third goblin dies. There's still more. There's still the boss. But guess what? We all now have enough XP to level up. So all of these options are going to completely depend on what game you're playing, mm-hmm. right? Um, because you can do that in Dungeon World very easily, right. right? Where your XP is tracked by the players, only by the players, and can move at different paces. So it's it's very possible that one player could level up while nobody else does. And because leveling up in Dungeon World is very fast, you could just say, yeah, pick your new move, and like now you have it in the fight, and describe how you like innovate this new move, mm-hmm. right? Um, you could even put a requirement that, like, the move you take, you need to use in this fight. Right. Right. And, you know, that it can happen so quickly that it can just happen while everyone else is taking their turn and it's coming back around to you. Right. In a and d type game yeah. with levels where big things change on your character sheet when you get it, I would never do this. <laughs> that that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Well, so first off, it only works if you're running, like, milestone XP. Right. Really? Where... Like, I don't think a GM would calculate the XP for every single goblin that dies, right? Oh, it's 50 more and 50 more and 50 more, right? I can, I can totally see some players, especially <laughs> like circa 3.5, that would have uh, been really like, wanted, uh, we only need to kill two of these goblins and then we level run up. Away. Right, GM? <laughs> like, okay, we did it. Level us. Or imagine it in like AD&D where everyone is on a different leveling regimen. Yeah, right? yeah. Like everyone needs to track their own. We have to divide it by however many like players. So like everyone gets 17 XP from that kill. Right, but you're multi-class, so uh-huh. you have a penalty. Uh, but you're multi-class with oh your my favorite God, right. class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't recommend that, but it's it's doable, right? So whatever situation you're in, it is possible to have the leveling up occur in media res when when it's not just one person when it's you know multiple people doing it and it's almost like the action pauses for a second um it's like a almost a mini session 0.5 right like uh, we've talked before about how you can have uh, an intercession break where you know via email everyone sort of levels up together that can happen right at the table right in the middle of whatever else is happening mhm now, keep in mind, it totally breaks verisimilitude, yep. and it uses up a bunch of table time. Very much so. But it can be useful if you're doing something like a marathon session, like we're going to play for 12 hours straight. Or if you're playing Extra Life, you know, we're playing for 24 hours, Yep. and there are probably going to be multiple level ups, which isn't something that happens a lot in like a normal four to six hour game session. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> it does also do a good job of modeling that fiction, like we talked about, of discovering the new power when it's most needed and like pushing past those limitations. So in the middle of a battle, I suddenly have new abilities. Yeah, as a as a GM, you can sort of plan and structure your sessions that way to, to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if you structure a boss battle in two phases, if you can end phase one 
and then have them level up that works and and it can kind of give you that in fiction even though it might not happen necessarily in the real time of playing right you could end a session level up in between and then finish the boss fight in session two right or even in the middle of the session like you destroyed the whatever five robots right Uh, level up mega man yeah, because the robots are now combining into the giant robot that is actually the boss. Right. Mechanically, there are a couple of ways to to do this in the fiction of the game. You can have the PCs recover all their abilities as if they had rested, right? Recharge all your mana. Recharge your health. Yep. Uh, or you could just gain access to the new abilities but not refresh the old ones. And this, I think, models really well the, like, I am discovering new abilities, right? So I have level one and two spells. I've exhausted them because this was a tough battle. But we have now leveled up to five, and I am gaining two level three spot slots. Right. I have those. Yep. I can now chuck two fireballs. Yeah, I got no shield spell. None, none at all. Two fireballs. Right? I, can't, I can't cast cure wounds. Right. But I got two fireballs. <laughs> oh, you're a light cleric, are you? <laughs> I'm a bard. I'm always a bard. Oh, all right. Now, as Shane alluded to, much easier is to do session 0.5. Right. Right. Which is like, wait till there's a break in the story. And I think often this will be wait until like the end of the session, right? We defeat the the final boss. We level up next session. Right. Yeah. And we'll probably do it like right at the beginning of the session. We're, session point five is we are all sitting around the table together. It's not a session zero. It is a session 11.5, 14.5, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's either a totally separate session or it's part of this new session. And I feel like it's a really great option for newbies who are sort of getting used to how you level up in this particular RPG. Yep. It also helps the party coordinate their abilities and and pick how they're going to work together as a team. So there's not too much overlap, but it's nice for the the hand-holding aspect. Yeah, and it's also good if maybe you have the core of your decisions made, but you've got, you know, which other spell should I take, mm-hmm. right? You can kind of see what are your what are the rest of the party taking and what can we combo together or, or things like that yeah exactly like i'm definitely taking fireball duh right um i need one other though i don't really know what to take at their level right yeah. uh should i take fly or haste yeah <laughs> and then melee characters like haste yeah <laughs> the wizards are like oh no take fly, fly. so i don't yeah, have to yeah. i don't have to learn that one <laughs> you can also level up during downtime like in the game during downtime This is when leveling up, like quote-unquote leveling up, isn't something mechanical that is happening to the characters. Their numbers aren't just going up. The abilities that they're gaining need to make sense within the fiction of the game world. So you need an explanation of how did the fighter learn some new maneuver? Or like where was it that this wizard found this new spell that they can now cast? Yeah, so it's funny. I I am reading through the birthright campaign setting uh because we're, we're probably going to play a birthright game so excited for in, that in the next couple months and uh that is one of the one of the actions that you can take with your domain actions which which basically cover like a month of time is you can learn new skills or uh, non-weapon proficiencies as second edition called them <laughs> um but in order to do that you have to have a skilled master or trainer or someone who can mentor you on that to learn those otherwise you don't have access to it and it's just like it's this weird like codified thing that's in there right that was like probably a throwaway line at the time but now just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb right like who taught you that 
Yeah, like there how, has to be someone to teach you that. That's how people work. Right. How did you learn sailing again? <laughs> did you not have a master sailor in your city? Like I did it on my own. I, you know, put a piece of wood in the ocean in the bathtub. Right. That didn't work, so I just tried and tried again, right? Right? Right. Um, but this also works for like wizards, right? Is like who taught you that spell mm-hmm. or or where did you go like were you digging through a library to find that spell or did you go adventuring or whatever it was, right? Right. So this is an opportunity to play out how your characters have learned these new skills that they have. I think it's really good for the kind of group that likes to role play their shopping trips. Mm -hmm. It can actually take a long time. So it may require sort of leaving the main storyline for a while while people are figuring this out. So the fighter is seeking out that mentor in this large city, you know, someone who will teach them the way of the blade. Right. Uh, the wizard maybe actually isn't seeking a mentor, but uh, is setting up an alchemical laboratory and is doing research into new spells and actually developing it themselves, but doing it through trial and error. Right. I think a lot of these examples make sense for sort of more mid-leveled characters, but the cognitive dissonance comes in for a lot of people when we're talking about low-level characters, right? So we just fought some goblins and leveled up from level one to level two. Now we're sitting around the campfire how did I suddenly learn this ability, mm-hmm. right? Like, how did the paladin suddenly gain spellcasting, mm-hmm. you know? Like, how does he now know how to smite? That doesn't make any sense. He's just like, what changed, right? I, I think at some point you have to just kind of be like, that's how it works. Or at low levels, you are <clears throat> maybe going through these downtime exercises. You know, the paladin is praying very hard or maybe visiting a temple, you know, and like well, sure, but, giving devotion. But if you're in the middle of like... Uh, the Lost Minds of Fandelver. Screw you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, were you gonna you know, like, truck back out to to go level up for two days while you you know? Like, hey, like... This this coming from the guy who makes us save up like four thousand XP in Dark Heresy. Oh, that's for that's for my own convenience of like <laughs> of not having to keep track of individual XP. We're like, can we can we level up now? He's like, no, no, not yet. Yeah, like six more weeks. Milestone level. Like. <laughs> So th- that is something to keep in mind. Like, be careful not to be too restrictive of who can level up and when they can level up based on the fiction of the game world. Because there are certain kinds of classes that just have an easier time explaining how they got these new abilities. Like any kind of spontaneous caster or sorcerer, or even anyone multiclassing into sorcerer can just say, uh, the magic blossomed out of me and I couldn't contain it. So, And I didn't learn a new spell. Like, I'm just casting a new spell i don't even know how i'm doing it so go screw yeah <laughs> it's in my blood yeah uh sucks to be you who has to learn how to do something huh <laughs> right, yeah <laughs> what is it like to not be amazingly talented <laughs> all the time or like uh divine casters right i just i prayed really hard yeah i i had a vision my uh my god spoke to me and was like have you considered smiting right <laughs> morden was like new phone who dis <laughs> jk here's a smite so I think even if you are doing this this downtime leveling at higher levels, it's much easier to just hand wave because it is also much more likely that the fighter's developing his own fighting style at this point. Yeah. You know, I totally made up this own move on my own because right. like I'm that good. Yeah, and I think as far as D&D is concerned, right? Um 5th edition is pretty clear that this is a background activity that you presume the characters are doing, mm-hmm. right? Every time they take a rest, they're honing their craft they're working towards these new abilities so that when they do level up it's just they've unlocked it right but they've already justified it sort of 
without having to bring it to the forefront. Yeah, we're not usually requiring people to justify why their proficiency bonus has gone up. Or why they haven't uh, had to use the bathroom in that dungeon. <laughs> or like why they got more hit points. Right. <laughs> were you toughening up? Yeah. yeah. I, every, every time we were out on the road. Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just walk around hitting myself in the stomach. <laughs> You can also uh, level up off screen, and this is probably the most common way that most groups level up. You do it between sessions, you level up on your own time, and you show up with an updated sheet. Congratulations, you've killed the boss. Everyone is now level seven. Come back next time, level seven. Yeah, and if you're going to use downtime to justify it, you come back to the table with the level and the explanation, and mm-hmm. you move on, right? Yeah, where'd you learn that? Oh, uh, we went back to town and I found a mentor. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> Great, good work. <laughs> this is the easiest way to level up for uh, experienced groups who trust each other, right? Like if you're in a group where for some reason you feel like you really need to check someone else's math to make sure that they're not throwing in a few extra bonuses when they leveled up, well, one, maybe that person shouldn't be in your group. Uh, but two, this is probably not the best way to do it. You actually might need some more handholding. Right. And like we said, you can introduce as much or as little role-playing as you want. Um, I like to do this via email uh, because you can do the one-on-one leveling with a person who is interested in doing that and not have to deal with someone who isn't interested in doing that. You know, We did this a little bit with like Brand uh, in the Morning Glory campaign. Yeah. We weren't like leveling up each time, but we were talking about like how things change now that he has access to new spells or things like that. But not everyone in the group wanted to do that, which is why it wasn't like a, a session in game or it wasn't like a, an email going to everybody. Right. This downtime activity is also helpful for seeding new new plot threads. Mm. Um, you can take elements that your characters or that your players have declared an interest in because they have defined them as part of the downtime, right? Um, you can pull those into your main plot so that they have kind of further reach or more verisimilitude yeah i love the thank you for the npc right exactly (laughs) uh what was that mentor's name Uh, uh uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah like there's no way the master swordsman isn't gonna send you a letter asking for your help (laughs) right or die tragically right (laughs) or (laughs) have an heir right (laughs) (laughs) who really wants his father's technique (laughs) he really he really wants that fighting style back (laughs) Finest sword. Oh, that. Okay. (laughs) And I think lastly, and this is maybe more of an exercise in GMing, is you can have your party level up as part of the adventure. I don't know that I would even say party. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this this might be sort of a one-on-one or or only two PC kind of activity rather than a group of six, but... Yeah, so I think of it sort of like a filler episode in a TV show, right? It yeah. centers around one character. Some of the other characters may not even show up in that episode, but one person or a couple people learns a valuable lesson right? that could quite potentially give them new abilities that they use later on in the actual story. Right. So it could be that everyone is coming along on this adventure and like it's really focusing on one person and their new abilities. Um, it, w- it would be much harder to sort of weave everyone together. But honestly, you really do need some like player buy-in for this because you're probably not fighting the main villain. You're probably not advancing the main storyline. Um, it's more like a, like a Monster of the Week episode or um, an episode of Burn Notice. Yeah, like any any procedural episodic like with a 
loosely overarching plot. It's it's an episode of House. Yeah, it's uh, Michael Weston like helps a person like he always does, but that person has access to some very nice property, right? Or a very nice car, and from now on, Fiona is driving that car. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which helps us explain where she got uh, the vehicle, where right. she was able to afford the vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> so in this circumstance, like as a GM, you are planning an adventure where the party is, you know, um, put in unfamiliar circumstances or they're presented with like a novel obstacle or enemy and they need to figure out how to overcome it. And whatever way they figure out to overcome it is a, a new ability that can be then used in the main storyline. This is why I say you kind of need player buy-in because the way that they overcome it is going to be the ability that they're gaining through leveling up. Yeah. I think it works really well or works much better with something like multi-classing. Yeah. So, you know, you've got someone who has just been playing a rogue and they want to multi-class to wizard. Um, You present an opportunity where if only I had a shield spell would somehow present, uh, would somehow prevent grievous injury and it's possible that like that sort of like blossoms out of them or like you know it in the final moments of like this this confrontation the the rogue like it's in a library right it takes place in a library the rogue has found a spell book and is frantically reading this very low level like first level spell Mm -hmm. and is trying to decipher these like arcane runes and figure out how to cast this stupid spell i don't even know what this stupid spell is uh, but you know, you make a series of skill checks and I finally cast it and oh, lo and behold, guess what? It's shield. Uh, and that totally worked and I'm not dead. Yeah. I, man, I struggle with that. Um, to me, I don't know how I would make that work without railroading the story. And if I just have to railroad it, why not write it as an off screen downtime thing? That's also doable too. Right. Um, I, so I, I have actually played in a game where this happened um, oh really not it, it wasn't like a design of the GM by any means um, it was it was the 5th edition game that I played um, on roll 20 where I, I was thrust the barbarian ah, mm-hmm. um, the one man army and so the way that I got the title of the one man army was uh, by defending a um, an elven like settlement from uh, a, an army controlled by a hag and um and so I, I basically like held the line as a barbarian by myself against like a werebor and some other stuff right ended up contracting lycanthropy which is great um and then also i leveled as i think paladin after i was barbarian mm-hmm. because like kind of that protector role right mm-hmm. so the adventure became like it was just the the dm and i and it had been because i had missed a few weeks and like kind of the party had moved on without me um, and so he was like, either we can make a side plot that will bring you back to the group, or we can just say you were there the whole time. And I was like, ah, whatever. Okay. I, I, you know, if you've got a couple hours to do a, a session, just the two of us, like, yeah, why not? I'll do that. That sounds cool. Right. And so that ended up being how I, how I caught up to the rest of the group, both in the plot and in my level. Mm-hmm. And it gave me this kind of like reputation that preceded me, right? Like when I walked into the tavern and introduced myself, like someone said, oh, the one man army. And like the rest of the party was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, what does that mean? You know, but even so, like it took such a confluence of circumstance that that was worth the effort and time. And like, 
it was a really, really cool story. Like, I'm super happy that that happened. Um, I had a blast. But had it been, like, me deciding up front, like, okay, I'm a level 5 barbarian. I'm going to become a barbarian paladin. Like, get me to paladin 1, GM. Like, I don't know that it would have worked the same way, you know? Hmm. Like, in, in a way, it was like, we're going to do this adventure that's going to catch us up to the plot. Um, you're going to level up in here as well. And it's like, oh, I did that. That makes me feel like I'm a paladin now, you know? Like, that, that makes me feel like I have faith in what they were believing in. Um, I don't know. So that, it mm. was just, it, it was a very backward experience of leveling up as an adventure, but it was the only time I've ever done it. That's interesting. I like the idea. So I like that scenario where you have, like it's one-on-one, mm-hmm. like a one-on-one game, maybe it lasts a couple hours, you know? And it's certainly not something I would do more than once per player per campaign. Yeah, and it right? would be totally unmanageable with actual players at an actual table, right? Like <laughs> you, to have to have six separate side sessions for a couple hours with one-on-one, like I just don't think is reasonable. But online, that's not that big of a deal. Oh yeah, no, I agree. I could see it not all happening at the same time. Oh yeah, that would. Also but I, I don't mean like I mean like not even happening in the same month, right? right? Yeah, like over the course of a campaign, this would happen once. To every yeah, day. and like one person, like so, you're multi-classing paladin, right? That might happen between levels two and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone else might multi-class wizard between like seven and, and eight, right? You know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you know, certain not even multi-classes, but like certain ability gains like make more sense like again divine characters like, yeah i pray really hard right i prayed really hard that like my sword would hit you know and so now i learned divine strike right it's the same flashback problem too sort of you know what the end has to be mm-hmm. so you're kind of reverse engineering into that ending and so like i struggle with that as a player and as a gm um so it, it is just it's not my favorite though like I said, I had a very rewarding experience with it. So <laughs> so speaking of, of these leveling options, what is your favorite? Uh, I'm going to give it's a two-parter. What is your favorite as a GM and what is your favorite as a player? So as a GM, I very much prefer to level as, as Milestone for one. So I, mm-hmm. I'll just take the XP part of it out um, because I hate tracking XP. <laughs> and even when I am tracking XP, I only update the players at milestones so like for our rogue trader game uh the players continue to accumulate xp but they have no idea what their xp is right now until i say okay we're done with this arc you can level up Um, okay but you buy abilities a la carte in that game so at every session you could just be like you have 400 more xp i could but that would be much harder for me to track because you would be changing your capabilities over the course of like two days in game time and so, like, I have to be able to scale my encounters by potentially, like, 2,000 XP from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Okay, but I will say, as a player, like, in real life, if your ability, if your character's abilities don't change for, like, six weeks, because an arc takes, you know, six sessions or so, it can get a little dull. I think it is mitigated in Rogue Trader because the thing that you get usually is gear. Gear is know? what really... It gives you, you better abilities, certainly. Right, yeah. And that comes much more often. Yeah, for sure. How about you as a GM? I'm a lazy GM. <laughs> right. So I like a group I can trust where I say, go level up, enjoy that. And I think that's pretty much what I did with Morning Glory with occasional 
uh, like individual emails to people when I knew that they were either getting a new ability that I wanted to sort of play with a little bit um, or I was giving them an item. I think usually it was I was giving them an item of some sort. Mm -hmm. You know, you are level 17 now, Calic, your sword says something to you. Right. But how do you handle that within the story? Um, I tried not to sort of mix the two, right? So nothing was happening in those side conversations that was really affecting the main storyline. It was always a very like personal uh, moment. So it was Lou interacting with her symbionts and sort of gaining their trust. It was Kalik figuring out the abilities of his sword. It was Bahar contacting House Madani. It was Brand, you know, like... Uh, funding, you know, uh, guerrilla warfare over here. The, the But that wasn't, I mean, that would have story repercussions much later, but it didn't really come into play like in the moment, mm -hmm. you know, and, either, and whatever happened with, you know, brand funding, guerrilla warfare and flame keep, like however that turned out or however you decided that you wanted that to turn out would be fine for the story. Like if you guys get to flame keep and your funding has worked well, great. That's, that's fine for the story. If it went terribly, that also is fine for the story. Yeah. Yeah. What about as a, as a player? Is there a difference for you? Well, I was going to say, I guess I didn't really answer the question for rogue trader either. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just said, milestone. I also try to divorce mechanics from story when it comes to leveling up. Mm. I don't think level four means something that level three doesn't. Mm. Right. Um, and I, I like to keep the title and influence increasing as you level within the story, right? So that sort of stuff makes sense. You are doing things that are um, like bigger scale that affect more people that, that reflect greater influence. And that's how you level in the story. Um, but your sheet is totally separate from that. Um, that's how I prefer to do it. And I think that's how you guys are experiencing it in Rogue Trader as well, right? Is like you update your sheets when... Uh, I feel like having a session where we just update our sheets mm -hmm. because that's really what it takes. When to, we go shopping. Yeah. To yeah. decipher Dark Heresy takes everyone in a room digging through all the rule books. Yes. <laughs> like, that's, that's just a quirk of the system. So yeah, like I, I keep the two separate. I do prefer for that system anyway to be in person. But for d and I'm with you. It's, it's adding a handful of things to a sheet. I think most people can handle it separately. Yeah, I like to encourage people to express those new abilities after the fact in the game mm -hmm. you know if this is the first time that your character has ever cast a fireball or the first time the party has seen you cast a fireball like make that have some meaning at the table hey i'm gonna try something new hang on <laughs> <laughs> hold up hold up <laughs> uh maybe i don't know duck yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure what's about to happen <laughs> keep your heads down <laughs> Yeah, you can you can definitely get those those neo moments, right? Where he like he knows kung fu and then he actually uses kung fu. Yeah, right? yeah, um, yeah. I think for me as a player, I well to bring it back to brand, right? When I'm leveling up within my character concept, mm -hmm. like I don't want to have to explain why I went from a level of rogue to a level of cleric, right? Like I think that's that's silly if my concept is inquisitor. Right. right. Like if my concept is gambler, I don't want to have to explain why I'm partially bard and partially uh, warlock. My concept is gambler. I'm not performing songs anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's silly. But if I'm changing the direction of my character, like, for example, when Brand became a, a dragon sorcerer, right, uh, my character is different at the end of that. So I do want to explain that and explore that in game. 
And whether that happens via email kind of outside of a session or it's something we just talk about or it's something where you try and put together like a light sort of narrative adventure, like any of that is cool with me. But I want to make sure I highlight when my character is changing in fiction versus when it's just changing in my character sheet. Yeah, definitely. I feel similarly. Uh, I'm playing Malachi in the, our Dark Sun game. And in my mind, he is like a multi-class, like psionic gladiator and a druid. But he has, for the, to get the abilities that I want, because we reflavor so much, mm-hmm. you know, like there will be a bit of knowledge cleric. I'm probably going to like splash a bit of paladin, but those are all similar enough that in my mind, that's all druid, right? right? That is like nature warden and like, you know, someone who worships nature spirits all together. It's not like a different class in the fiction of the game. So in Dark Sun, people are just going to look at him and be like, oh, okay, you're a more powerful druid. Right. And so I don't necessarily want to point out to everyone at the table, like, hey, I'm like, I'm taking a level of knowledge cleric. Right. You know, like, like, oh, you're a cleric now? Right. You know, a cleric has a different meaning to right. people, especially in something like Dark Sun, but like, he's not a cleric. He has gained similar abilities, but like, he's still a druid. Right. Yeah. Yep. So I, I think the main takeaway here is preferences vary by group and by gm and by player so talk about it is probably the best way to handle this and then um, figure out the right way for your group right Um, based on the amount of time you want to put into it the amount you want it to reflect in the story and what your players interests are we should just end this podcast and just repeat that all the time yes that's how we handle every issue talk to each other and Try to decide on a mutually beneficial arrangement that takes into account everyone's preferences. And the rules. <laughs> all right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, I'm weeping because we're not doing it all my way. It makes me <laughs> angry. That's why I'm in the GM. It's the sound of the frustration of compromise. Ugh. Everyone loses. Which means it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us, if you can't fit into 140 characters, at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Iron Face. Yeah, this grows out of my frustration with the way that the monk class is typically built in D&D. Because it's it's almost always like dexterity wisdom. It's always like an Eastern monk, right? Yeah. And with Kung Fu? With Kung Fu. I, and I, I'm okay with the Kung Fu. It's It's that you don't have room for anything else. It's very hard to make a smart monk. Because all your points have to go into dexterity and wisdom because otherwise you're easy to kill because your AC is terrible. Yep. You know, and like you don't have any other weapons. Right. And I, I think you can't ever have a monk that has high charisma, which to me is such a shame because if you look at the characters that the archetype is based off, Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan or Ip Man, these are very charismatic fighters. If you look at Muhammad Ali, who uh, fights unarmed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one of his highest stats is charisma. I mean, probably more so than dexterity. Right? Like, <laughs> you can't build Muhammad Ali without having high charisma. But the system just doesn't like that. Right, right. So, you know, they're all poorly modeled by the traditional monk class. And this is an attempt to actually get something out of your high charisma. Yeah, that's a that's a 
kind of a failing of D&D, really, is mm-hmm. that there's really only one unarmed combatant. Like, you can only be a pugilist in one way. Mm-hmm. It's being a monk, right? Right, which is unfortunate. I mean, I guess there's tavern brawler. I, that's, the, I mean, great. D4 with your fist. Right. right. I mean, it's why we talked about just reflavoring it. Right. Yeah. So the build is Open Hand Monk 14, Swashbuckler Rogue 6. So with Monk, you're getting three to four attacks per round when you flurry, and with 14 levels, you've got a D8 damage die. And on either of those flurry attacks, you can push prone uh, or prevent them from taking reactions on a hit. You're getting a plus 25 to your movement speed and the Monk goodies like deflect missiles and slow fall. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also get evasion, which gives you some handy tank-like abilities. And you're immune to disease and poison. You, as a nice capstone, you get proficiency in all saving throws, and you can re-roll those saves. Yep. Which actually is combos so well with evasion. Right. Then for rogue, you'll get four expertises. So, you know, persuasion, performance, acrobatics, maybe intimidation. Yeah, I think any of those work really well for, like, uh, you know, uh, an MMA fighter. It's almost like uh, being a cage fighter or a gladiator. You, yeah. you want to be able to get the crowd riled up. Yeah, no, I, I I think Muhammad Ali is like the or the perfect example of this archetype. So, um, yeah, and then you've got your charisma bonus gets added to initiative. You'll also have 3d6 sneak attacks. And you're not, as a swashbuckler, you're not relying on having an ally nearby or having advantage. Right. You, you can just, as long as you're the only character next to your target, you can get your sneak attack damage. Of course, you're also able to prone them. So once they're on the ground, you're also getting your sneak attack damage. Right. Lots of different ways. Unfortunately, the way the rules work, you can't use an unarmed strike along with your sneak attack because it's not a finesse weapon, which is dumb. <laughs> but you can have a short sword in your hand as a monk weapon and just call it a fist. Right. It all ends up being exactly the same. Right. And I love that as a rogue, you get uncanny dodge, which is so tanky. It is. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as a reaction, you can have the incoming damage from an attack you can see. Yeah. And I, I love this as the. Uh as a boxing reference right like your sneak attack is like your body blow yeah (laughs) right it's like head head body right Uh, so when you're leveling up i would start off rogue for the extra skills yep and then i would go to level five in monk to get the extra attack and then back to rogue to get your sneak attack bonus Mm -hmm. and your uh two more expertises at six and then finish off monk yeah so you end up being really tanky your ac is fine because you don't have max wisdom most likely but you can dodge as a bonus action you've already got that uncanny dodge and you can hit and run very well because you know as a swashbuckler if you hit someone they can't make opportunity attacks uh, no you. if you attack someone they can't make opportunity oh attacks. great you don't even need to connect also uh, that means you don't need to burn uh, the monk ability on preventing them from taking reactions right because you can actually just push or prone them right instead yeah, once you get to level three in Rogue. And it's really hard for you to fail those saves. You know, you've got evasion, you've got proficiency in every save, intelligence, and you can drop a key point to reroll. Yep. So, Ishan, what's your Iron Face? So, my Iron Face is a spy. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a very different tact from where I was thinking. Yeah, so she is uh, very charismatic, very persuasive, mm-hmm. great liar. Yep. Um, and so she is sent into situations that are not hostile but could become hostile alone okay right so like james bond she's going to the dinner party she's dressed up um doesn't need a weapon right right doesn't need armor in fact is hindered by those things Uh you know can fight just fine in a in a ball gown yep and she's there to like make connections to insinuate rumor 
uh, to cause chaos or to steal secrets, right? And usually she does just fine. Uh, but on the off chance that she is caught at the dinner, she is outed. Someone accuses her. Uh, well, she's immune to poison, so they can't poison her. Mm-hmm. She has evasion and uncanny dodge. And That's if, right. And so, if she punches him, <laughs> they can't give chase. <laughs> this is the character where she is at the dinner with all the diplomats and like the target of an assassination. Mm-hmm. And she is found out. And suddenly the mages all chuck spells at her and uh, all the guards pull their swords and she uh, can dodge as a bonus action. Uh, can move 165 feet in a round yeah, along with cunning action, right. can run up the walls, right. can literally walk through a fireball completely unscathed, Yep. <laughs> walk up to someone, uh, stunning fist everyone on the way, and then... Murder them. S- sneak attack murder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I'm just going to uh, expertise stealth out of here. Right. Bye. I like that. I mean, I like that as a villain. <laughs> I kind of hate it as a party member. <laughs> they're the uh, they're the mage killer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What about your Iron Face? My Iron Face is a bouncer. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a good starting uh, profession. Yeah, for an adventurer. Yeah. So you know, at a at a tavern that has a lot of adventurers come through, uh, a lot of rough and tumble types, and you know, as a bouncer, he needs to make sure that. Any fights that happen, any brawls in the tavern are ended quickly, but also, you know, he doesn't want to scare away people from uh, patronizing the establishment and, uh, you know, eventually finds some reason to take up with one of the many adventuring parties that come in. So that's that's his background and that's uh, that's how he got to where he is. Yeah, I like that, you know, as a bouncer, you can end fights non-lethally. Right, right. You know if like you're causing trouble now but you're a pretty good paying customer and we'd like you to come back exactly yeah (laughs) um and then also you know it's like when uh when you've got to really like make a show of it you know throwing so it's throwing the drunk out into Mm. the street kind of thing you know he's got the performance and persuasion to sort of uh keep the crowd entertained so that they don't decide they don't want to patronize for the rest of the night that maybe it's safer to go home they've got to kind of make a show out of it and also the ability to kick them 10 feet away that also helps (laughs) and prone (laughs) All right. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to become one of our Patreon supporters. You can visit patreon.com slash totalpartythrill to get access to extra content, TPT merchandise, and some dubious rewards. So if you feel like you can spare an extra $5 a month, please consider giving it to the Sierra Club while they're still in environment. But after that, if you still have an extra $5 a month, you can support us. Uh, Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing the show every week. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about taking inspiration from history. And in the character creation forge, we're building Blackbeard. Well, that's it for episode 103 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. listening.